Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. start out, I, I want to frame it this way. How many of you enjoy reading? I'm, I'm a big reader uh, when I can. I like it. And I'm reading a book right now called The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink. Has anyone ever heard of that book? Uh, I think it's a little bit newer. Have you heard of it? It's, it's a great book. It's really interesting. Uh, Daniel Pink uh, offers all of these really insightful insets, insights into the concept of regret. And his kind of overall thesis in the book is how we shouldn't be afraid of regret. You ever feel like you make a decision because you're like, oh, I'm afraid, like I, I don't want to like regret this or something. And, and he said, we shouldn't be afraid of regret. Actually, we're supposed to use the regrets of our lives to learn and grow from them. And, and they make us into better people when we, when we don't ignore them, but we learn how to learn from them. And Pink and his team, they performed one of the most comprehensive studies on regret that's ever been done. It's called the World Regret Survey. You can actually Google it, and you can take the World Regret Survey. It's really interesting. You can see regrets from uh, people who answered from all over the world. You can click on your country. In the United States, you can click on your state. I was going in, and I found regrets in New Jersey. It doesn't tell you who it was, just in case you might know them. But it's like, you know, male, female, age, whatever, and then they just has the regret that they wrote. Some of them are kind of like, you know, cheesy. I should have had another piece of pizza. Uh, uh, so, you know, some age like 19. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, but, but some of them are like really deep. And you're like, whoa, I need to think about that. You know? Uh, he, he says in his book, because they've compiled so much data on regret, he says that it doesn't matter what culture or background you have, there's basically two kinds of regret. He, he says, he, he kind of calls them this. There's regrets that are coulda and shoulda is how he describes them. Shoulda regrets are, are the kind of regrets we have because of uh, an issue we faced in our past and say we should have handled that situation differently. And, and we learn from it. It was a real life situation that we encountered and we handled it one way instead of handling it a different way. I, I should have handled this conflict at work in this way instead of that way kind of thing. But generally, you know, they, they don't create a lot of pain in, in us for the long haul. We go, oh, okay, I need to learn from that. I'll do it differently. The, the research showed that the kinds of regrets that trouble human beings the most are the coulda regrets. The coulda regrets are about missed opportunities. How many of you think back over your life and can think about missed opportunities you've had? I can think of a few. Uh, I could have chosen a different career path. Uh, I could have spent more time with my mom when she was alive, you might say. I, I could have been more brave in my choice of college major, major instead of being afraid. And Pink notes that these kinds of regrets trouble us so much because we're imagining this life we could have had if we had just taken a risk, just put ourselves out there more, if we'd just been a little more bold or taken charge in a situation. Now, you might be thinking about what some of your coulda regrets are right now. You don't have to say them out loud. Uh, but, but it might be hard and, and even painful sometimes because you're thinking about, man, my life might be so much better if, 
Or if I had just done that, what would things be like for me now? And we all have them. No one's immune to having these regrets, right? But as I was thinking about this, I, I started to think about it in, in this way. Do I have any regrets when it comes to following Jesus? And I, I don't mean the should have regrets, because we all have the should have regrets, right? When we're following Jesus. Okay, I, th- I made a mistake. I should have done this differently. I, I'm talking about, man, what are the things in my life following Jesus that were missed opportunities? What were the things that Jesus was inviting me into, challenging me with, and I kind of like shied away? because I wasn't willing to take the risk in the moment. You know what I'm talking about? So today, we're we're gonna continue this DNA series, and specifically, what I wanna talk to us about this morning is faith-filled risk. What does it look like to take faith-filled risk? What does it look like for us that when Jesus invites us into an opportunity, we step into it with faith instead of having a coulda regret weeks, days, years, months later? Now, if we're going to achieve all of the things that God has planned for us individually and as a church, it's going to involve a healthy amount of faith-filled risk. There's no way to follow Jesus without faith-filled risk. Think about when Jesus uh, invited and called his first disciples. He said, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. They literally were told, leave your job you have no, there's no welfare system. There's, they, they, they don't have a family that can like send them money. Like they've got nothing. If they don't keep fishing, they die. And he's like, hey, come with me. That's a risk. They're taking a step out there. And, and, and so there's no way we can follow Jesus to be his disciple without some version of that kind of faith-filled risk playing out in our lives. And it looks different for each of us and for each different church. So here's what we're going to do today. I'd like you to open your Bible or get your Bible app out and open up to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Genesis is the first book in your Bible. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. And we're going to read today and we're going to learn about a family who God invited to take faith-filled risk. And when they jumped into following him, even though they didn't totally understand what was happening, it changed the course of human history. So let's read this together. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. It says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up the camp beside the Oak of Moreh, and at that time the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. Just take a minute to pray before we continue. Holy Spirit, as we continue to learn about who we wanna be as a people, I, I just ask that this would not be head knowledge this morning, that, that faith-filled risk would become a lifestyle for us. As, un, as nervy as it can be, we just ask, Lord, today that our trust in you would only increase. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the story we just read, uh, God has a purpose and a plan for Abram and his family. Just like he has a purpose for you, for your family, for our church family. But it's going to require them to take some faith-filled risk. They need to trust that God wants to actually do something through them that's really good. Why would you bother risking this if there wasn't a chance that God was going to do something really good, right? I want you to come follow me, risk everything, and your life's gonna be basically the same. No, I'm not doing that. I've gotta go because I know there's something better for me out there, right? And that's what God, we, we need to understand that God's calling us to, just like he's calling Abram and Sarai to. We don't just take any risks. We're taking faith-filled risks. We're taking risks based on our faith in what God has done, is doing, and will do. We're taking faiths based, uh, risks based on saying, okay, I trust what you're doing is the best thing for me. Now, here's what I wanna just clear up. Faith isn't simply hope. It's not simply wishful thinking. Uh, a lot of times I, I find myself or hear people saying, uh, well, I, I just, I, I have faith. And what they're really kind of saying is like, I feel hopeful or I, I, I feel like wishful or I think God's gonna come through. Here's literally what faith means in the Bible. Faith, especially the, the New Testament word in the Greek, it, it means to have allegiance, complete allegiance or loyalty to the person that you have faith in, to remain faithful to them. So to say I have faith in Jesus, I, I am loyal to Jesus, I'm saying I have allegiance to Jesus, I have loyalty to Jesus over anything and everything else in my life. My, my family, my, my work, my agenda, the things that I want to accomplish, Jesus, it has to be the ultimate allegiance and loyalty for each of us. And so when God calls us to a particular way of doing or being in the world and says, hey, you need to step into this. I know it seems risky. Our loyalty to Jesus is what compels us to go. That's what faith is. And it's not unfounded. It's, it's a loyalty that's built on his proven, his proven uh, track record that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he provides, that he comes through, through the whole story of scripture and then how it's played out in our lives. And so that's what faith-filled risk is. It's God saying it, well, I have to go. I've given my faith to him, my allegiance, my loyalty to Jesus, but I know that he's good. I don't have to be concerned that he's trying to pull a fast one on me because I am like stupidly just kind of, okay, I'll do whatever you say. This isn't a blind loyalty. It's a loyalty that's based on his proven track record. 
So from this text that we just read, I, I want to highlight a few things about faith-filled risk because it's, it's this loyalty, this connection to trusting that God is not going to steer us wrong. That's what we're taking the risk out of. It seems risky to us. It's not risky to God. What, so what I want to do is just highlight a few requirements for us of, of what it means to walk out faith risk. Because here's ultimately my heart this morning. I want you to be able to receive and walk in everything that Jesus wants to do in your life. Now you might be like, okay, like, is it that really that good? Like, come on. Is it that good? Is this just what you're supposed to say? Because this is your job? No. Jesus wants to do stuff in your life that you and I can't even begin to imagine. I want you to think about your life right now and think about like, where, where's the ceiling of doubt for your life right now? And, and I don't just mean like, I want a new car. That could be great. But I mean like, what's the quality of your relationships like? How does Jesus wanna do something new in that? How, how much are you walking in the power of the spirit? God wants to do something new and more in that. How, how much are you at peace with yourself and with others? God wants to do something even more in your life in that. All of these ways, I think we get in a malaise and we think, we're like, is, is anything I'm doing counting for something? And God wants to do so much more, but it's going to require faith-filled risk. So for you and I to walk in this, it's going to require a few things from us. So I wanna highlight three things from this story that faith-filled risk requires. The first one is this, faith-filled risk requires leaving the old behind for something new. Uh, it's just some context for us to understand this story in Genesis 12 a little better. Abram was from mo uh, modern-day Iraq uh, in the southern part, not too far away from Basra. It was the ancient city of Ur. And God called him to go on a journey. Eventually, At first, it was with his father, and they went all the way up as far as uh, Haran, but God was calling him to go on this journey that would take him up, not across the Arabian desert because you'll die, uh, but it would take him up along the, what's called the Fertile Crescent, up along the Euphrates River. They'd go all the way up north into Turkey, down through Syria and Lebanon and down into modern day Israel and Palestine. It's a journey of roughly 2,200 miles that God was asking him to go on. That'd be like starting here and walking to Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a haul. It's a haul. And according to Google Maps, because yes, I did check this, it would take you 724 hours to walk from here to Salt Lake City, which is the same distance. Now that means if you were to walk nonstop, you'd get there in about a month. Day, night, no weekend breaks. It would take you a month. And this is the journey that God is asking Abram and his family to go on. And this is in a time in history where people did not relocate to a new job in a new city. People did not travel and move. They're like, you know what? I think we're going to head down to the Carolinas. It's a lot warmer down there. The schools look great. You don't know what the schools are like. There's not even any schools, but that's another story for another day. But they weren't just moving their immediate family either. We read they've got livestock, they've got hired hands, they have servants, they have those people's families. This is like relocating a small family business to the other side of the world, basically. 
and they have no idea what's there. They can't look and see what the real estate value is there. Are they gonna get a lot of property for what they were paying for in Ur? They don't know. They just have to go. All they have is God's voice saying, go. That's risk. That's risk. Now, we don't know what this relationship was that Abram had with God before this moment. This is when we pick up the story of Abram for the first time. We don't know uh, anything other than at this moment, he trusted God, faith, and he took a risk. We know that he knew that whatever God was inviting him into would be way better than what he was currently experiencing in that place. He knew that whatever the new thing was that God wanted to do in and through him and his family was going to be worth it. And they couldn't stay where they were to experience it. Ur is one of the most powerful, influential, wealthy cities of the ancient world. No one wants to leave that. You find a place where there's food in the ancient, the ancient world, you don't leave. Everything's about that. And at this point, Ur was so well established, it was beyond food. They had culture. They had writing. They had all of these things that the rest of the world didn't, didn't have. It was civilized. And you want me to go where? Excuse me, God? It was comfortable there. But he knew that the new thing God wanted to do could not be done in the old situation. Faith-filled risk requires leaving behind the old for something new. This is what Jesus was talking about when uh, he said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 22. He said, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, we don't have time to unpack all of the, like what that means in, in the ancient world, but essentially Jesus was pointing out a principle here that anytime God wants to do something new in you and I, we need to embrace the new way of living, the new way of acting, the new way of behaving, the new, the new thing that God's calling us into so that we can hold the new work that God wants to do in us. See, if you put new wine in an old wineskin, the wine, because of what's happening with the gases, it expands and it breaks the old wineskin and the old wineskin's broken because the wineskins would actually stretch with the wine. But if you use an old wineskin, it's already done, it's stretching and the wine's gonna expand and expand and it'll break the wineskin and then you lose the wine and the wineskin. You see, what, what Jesus is saying is, hey, that thing you used to do in that old way, in that old life, that was really good for that season. Don't ruin how good that was by trying to do the, put the new thing in that. You need to come in to the new wineskin, if you will. Has God been trying to invite you into something new or has he been challenging you to take that next step but you're just so you're so comfortable in living the life you have right now as you've always done it that you're like hmm can we do it over here where I am right now God I like it over here it's comfortable here I've been here a while it feels nice it's like a pair of jeans that you've already broken in you're like these are just comfortable I don't want new jeans. You ever put new jeans on and you're just kind of like, do these even fit? But you give them a while, you stretch them out and then suddenly you're like, these are great. I like them better than the old ones. 
You see, if we, if we try and stay in the old thing when God's trying to do something new, we're going to miss what he wants to do in you and I. So are you comfortable serving in church as you've always done it? Are you uh, happy with, with what you're doing in, in your current employment situation? Are you happy with what your relationship's like with your family or your neighbors? Or is Jesus saying, hey, I wanna, I wanna push you into something here. I, I, yeah, I know it's scary. I know I, and it's in the back of your mind nagging me, but you, but you need to start walking this out because I've got so much more for you. The story of Ed and Ruth Thompson. They were alliance workers in Cambodia for 13 years. Got their picture up on the screen. This was when they were later in another country. Um, and uh, they were in Cambodia. They were there serving God. They were preaching in, with this tribe kind of along the Cambodian-Vietnam border. And they were seeing very little fruit, but they loved these people. They'd been with them so long. And, and then suddenly everything turned upside down because the prince of Cambodia kicked out all of the Americans. They couldn't stay. And so they went to the, the alliance, uh, our, our denomination that we're a part of, and, and they went to them and they said, hey, will you reassign us to Vietnam? Because this tribe kind of lives in Vietnam and Cambodia, and they're in the same place. We love these people. We're called to these people. We need to be with these people. And, and, and everyone around them, the, the alliance uh, office, their friends, everyone was like, are you crazy? You see, this is during the Vietnam War. And it was incredibly violent. It was dangerous to be a civilian, let alone a civilian American there. And they're like, we have to go. We want to go to these people. We want to continue to work with this tribe. We feel called to. And everyone was like, it's too dangerous. And Ed would say, like, God wants us in Vietnam. We have to go. And there, there was a friend once that was, uh, Ruth was trying to, to pack some things to, to go. They were officially headed to Vietnam and her friend is next to her pulling everything out of the suitcase, trying to unpack her actively. And, and she's like, Ruth, you can't go. You're going to get killed. They were concerned about their comfort. And Ruth said, if I get killed, I get killed. But I must obey Christ and go to Vietnam. They could not shake what their faith was calling them into. So she and her husband moved to Vietnam. This is a picture of them there in language school. Shortly after they arrived, though, they were killed during the Tet Offensive. And we'd like to say, well, that was the end of the story. God, you screwed up. Or Ed and Ruth, you weren't supposed to go there. But you know what happened next? their death actually became a witness to the Vietnamese people. They saw the love of Jesus every time they talked with Ed and Ruth and couldn't understand why they had come here. Why are two Americans coming here to love us and tell us about Jesus? This is not a good place for you to be right now. But their willingness to come and serve and sacrifice their very lives in a war-torn country bore witness and actually, just a few years ago, the Alliance celebrated 100 years of ministry in Vietnam with over 1.2 million Christians in the country, most of whom belong to the Vietnamese Alliance Church there because of the witness of Ed and Ruth. Now, they, they could have done something more comfortable when the door to Cambodia closed. They, they could have still done a, a lot and had a huge impact for God, 
but they knew that there was something God had called them specifically to that they had to obey and they had to walk in and they couldn't ignore it. They couldn't settle for the old. They, they couldn't settle for the comfortable. They needed to step into the new thing that God was doing no matter what happened. Now, all of you, if you realize it or not, have done maybe not to the point of giving up your lives, but you've done something similar to Ed and Ruth. I don't know if you realize this. Not a lot of people decide, hey, there's a brand new church. We should go jump into that. That sounds like a good idea. A lot of people go, well, let's go somewhere where it's like a little more established, like where they've got things figured out, like there's already all the programs and all the ministries are already built and everything like that. Do you realize like it took some faith-filled risk for each of you to walk in this door? Pat yourself on the back for a minute, you know? No, I'm, I'm oh, good job. Thank you. Thank you, Jersey, for patting yourself on the back. Appreciate that. <laughs> Jersey's got it for you guys. Hey, no, I'm, I'm really serious. Are, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? like deer in the headlights this morning. It's okay. But are you hearing what I'm saying? Like, it's hard. You're coming in. No one really knows each other that well. We're kind of figuring it out. There's a lot of risk involved with us just being in this room together right now. You ever think about that? Don't think about it too much. It's like terrifying. But, but here, here's the thing that I want to say to you this morning as your pastor. None of us, including myself, we, we can't put the new wine that God's doing here into all of our old wineskins. The, the old ways that we've experienced God's work in our lives, the, the old uh, church things we've come out of, good, bad, ugly, whatever they are, we, we can't import those into here because not, God's not doing what he was doing there, here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Each of us, if we're going to really step into the faith-filled risk that God is doing here in this community, it's going to require leaving the old behind. It means church is probably going to look a little different here than it did at a church you've been at previously. It's going to look a little bit different for me as a pastor than it has previously. We don't know exactly how it's going to go, but we know that God's called us all here, all of us. So what's he going to do? So we need to step into the new thing, the new life group, the new leadership position, the new opportunity to be on mission with your neighbor, uh, the, the new, like, oh, I've never experienced that or done that in a church before, and, and, and that be the end of the sentence, have it continue to, but God's doing a new thing, and I'm going to go step over here and try this. Man, I'm telling you, God wants to do something in you. Jesus wants to do something in you, and, and we can't settle for, well, I've never done that before. Or, but I had a bad experience with that before. This is a new wineskin. It's a new season. And I tell, I'm telling you, God wants to do something. I can feel that this morning really strongly. God wants to do something in each of us and in our church. But it's going to require leaving the old behind for something new. So that's the first requirement for faith-filled risk. Second, faith-filled risk is going to require dependence on God. Hallelujah. Amen. Because we don't know what we're doing when we step into risk. We don't. Notice what it says in verse 7 and 8. It says, Abram builds altars. 
He builds altars as he travels through Canaan. Throughout uh, the book of Genesis, you'll see Abram is going to build four different altars during his time there, up and down from north to south. Now, culturally, this is un- it's, it was understood for Abram's day, day that if you wanted your deity, your God, to bless the land, be present in the land, you needed to have a place that was set aside to be devoted to that deity. And you needed to create a place or places to kind of mark the territory of that God. Effectively, what Abram's doing here is he's marking Yahweh's territory. He was, he was saying that this land is going to be devoted to God. But, it, but it's not kind of a, just a, a pithy saying or something like nice slogan that goes on a bumper sticker or something like that. Now to, for him to say, okay, this place and these altars are going to be devoted to God meant that he needed to now orient his whole life around these places because the altars had to be run at his personal expense. They had to make sacrifices on the altars at his personal expense. So he'd be orienting his life around these places in order to seek God's presence, in order to be close with God, in order to discern God's will for what's next. Abram knew that he could not simply listen to God's voice to get to the land. This is important. We can't just listen to God's voice to hear what the next risk is. We have to remain dependent on God's presence to live in the land, not just to get to the land. When we're stepping out in faith-filled risk, we have to continually rely on God's presence to sustain us, to strengthen us, to save us, to protect us. More and more we could say about that. It means we need to stay close to him. Close to his voice, quiet ourselves down enough in order to hear him speak. So we can continue to walk in the way that he's called us. But often, especially if you're like me, we get instructions from God and we go, Great, thank you. I will check in with you if I have any problems. Abram actually is quite guilty of that multiple times. Just read the story of Genesis and you're like, you idiot, you did it again. Why aren't you just staying dependent on God? Trust him. God's calling us to remain dependent on him when we take risks. Remain close to his presence. To watch and pray, as Jesus tells his disciples. I feel like personally I'm in a season right now where God just keeps saying, watch and pray. He just said it earlier last week. Watch and pray. And man, it's the hardest part of the faith-filled risk process. Go and now wait. Like, what do I, are you kidding me right now? Couldn't we have just like waited to start the going until you were ready to do all the other things? But here's the thing is, in the midst of taking a faith-filled risk, God isn't just trying to teach us about boldness. He's trying to teach us about dependence. Faith-filled risk is going to require leaving the old behind for something new. And it's going to require dependence on God. And finally, faith-filled risk requires having eyes to see beyond what exists. God makes an astounding promise to Abram that we read in verse 2. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's a stunning statement. How on earth was Abram going to bless everyone on earth? It was going to take him a month if he kept walking straight through the night in order to get to the land. How's he going to reach everyone else on earth? 
And how's his family supposed to do that? Because one small detail, they can't get pregnant. They don't have kids. They don't have a family. How is God going to bless the whole world through his family? It's not adding up, God. I don't see what you're seeing. Do you ever feel like that with God? I know it says this in your word, or I know that I, I, I sense you've been saying this in my life, but I don't see it. How often do you feel that way? And, and then it's like, where do we get off? Where, wh- what business do we have thinking that we could expect the unseen like that? You ever have that in your head? I get that in my head all the time. Like, man, this is, is this arrogance? What, what, what is this? And, and sometimes it is, let's be honest. Our flesh gets in the way. But sometimes God is speaking to us and what it's, our faith-filled risk is actually requiring of us is that we can see beyond what human eyes can see. I love what the writer of Hebrews says about Abram and his wife Sarai. It says this, Abram lived in this new land by faith and says about Sarah, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child through though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as, uh, as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. You see, all God needs is your yes. That's it. He needs your yes put into motion. Not lip service. He needs your your yes put into motion and and he will do it. If we're gonna take faith-filled risk, we're going to have to begin to see the world the way Abram and Sarai did. They could see what God was going to do even though I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna happen. Cutting it close, God. Does that sound scary to you? You can give me some feedback. I heard a small whimper of a, yes. Does this sound terrifying? Like if you were asked, if God came in right now and he asked you, here's what I want you to do, and it's a risk, you're gonna be like, I'm not doing that. Does this seem irresponsible to take risk like that? Seemed irresponsible for Abram and Sarai to leave the world that they had and move to this new land. Right now, uh, some of you, many of you know this or you've seen it. We have this gym space in, in the back, this half-court basketball court that's attached to this building. Some of you have seen it. If you want to see it sometime, I will happily show you. It's a dump right now. It's got mold. needs needs some repairs. It needs a few things done with it. But, but here's what I love about that space. From the people who built it and until today, there's something about that space that requires having eyes to see what's not yet there. One of the things I keep hearing from people in town right now is how much we need more gym space in West Milford. I talked to the director of the Parks and Rec Department. I, he knows about that gym space. And he's like, if you ever get that fixed, you call me. We need more space for programs. Someone uh, that attends our Mawa campus, says his wife uh, played Division I basketball, wants to put on clinics, could serve the community, but we need 
space. We need the financial provision to fix it up. We need the, the, the people that want to get behind serving you know, kids and community in, in different ways. But, but think about it. I've, I've, had, I've left my office like on a cold fall day just before winter. I think it was last winter. And I'm going to my car and two neighborhood kids, I might have shared this before, see me coming out of the office, going to my car, and they run over because they're out here playing basketball all the time. And it's freezing cold. They don't want to play basketball in that weather. And they say, we heard there's a gym here. And I was like, yeah, but if I, if I let you go in there, your parents would sue me. Um, but man, there, there, there's real opportunity right here. But it's going to require having eyes to see things that don't yet exist. God keeps inviting you and I into spaces like that into our family relationships, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, in and amongst our church community. God keeps inviting you and I into those risk-filled spaces. What do you think God is trying to give you eyes to see? What do you think? Think about it for a minute. I'll wait. Think about it. Do you like to dream? I love to dream. I'm, I'm a dreamer. I love to see what could be. Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Because not every dream can take action. But when it's a God dream, when it's something God's doing, man, I can't afford not to have eyes to see what he's doing and wants to do. I can't afford it. I have to see what he's doing. I love what Abram is, is said, again, in, in Hebrews 11, 8 and 10, it said this about Abraham. It said, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and then this, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You see, he was looking ahead to something he would never even see in his lifetime and was like, God's going to do something amazing here and I have to take this risk. I have to change everything that ha is happening in my life right now in order to give my yes to God right now. But I see it. It might not all come to fruition in my lifetime, but I know there's gonna be a seed. They had their son, Isaac. That was the only response they need. It's done. No question, God's gonna do the rest of it. I don't even need to see the rest of it in my lifetime. I've seen the seed. It's like when Elijah, if you know the story, there'd been a drought in Israel for three years and Elijah then prays for rain and he prays fervently and then he asks the servant, go check and see if there's rain. Nope, no rain yet. And he prays fervently again. Is there rain? No, there's no rain yet. Okay, go one more time. I've been praying. And he says, oh, there's this tiny little puff of a cloud the size of a man's fist. And Elijah goes, okay, that's enough. Let's go. So you might not see the whole thing in the moment, but what God is saying is, okay, you've been praying, boom, there it is. Now, move on to the next step. And then he said, by the time he got down to the bottom of Mount Carmel, he was stuck and caught in torrential rain. So as we conclude here, risk is gonna require that we leave the old behind for something new. It's going to require that we remain dependent on God. And finally, it's going to require that we have eyes to see what may not 
exist yet. So my question to you all is this. What are the faith-filled risks that God is calling you to in your life? What's he calling us to for faith-filled risk as a church family? What are the old things that you have to leave behind for the new things in order to walk in the risk? How do you need to grow in your dependence on God in the midst of the risk? And how, how are you just not seeing what God's seeing and you, you need to get your eyes supernaturally upgraded, shall we say? What's God doing in you? I'm gonna have the worship team come up. We're gonna close here. And I, I just wanna take a moment to respond to this question because I, I feel like Jesus is making some invitations in the room. And, and let's be honest, when we start talking about faith-filled risk, man, I feel apprehensive. I feel nervous. My eyes just glaze over and I shut down like I'm not going there. Don't, don't push that. I'm not doing it. I'm happy where I am right now. But here's what I wanna say. God is inviting you in all of his tremendous love and kindness. He's not inviting you into something to make your life miserable. He's inviting you into something so that you can experience more fully just how good he is to you. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna ask you to stay where you're seated, bow your head, bow your head for a moment, close your eyes, because I want this to be a little bit of a personal moment. You're gonna have to take the faith-filled risk later so we don't need to make this part unnecessarily nerve-wracking. Keep your eyes closed. And if you're like, okay, I can't avoid this, Jesus. I need to say yes to this thing you've been putting in front of me. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Would you just stand up where you are and keep your eyes closed? No one's gonna look around. Just stand up where you are if you're like, I need to take this faith-filled risk. I can't say no anymore. Just give you a couple minutes. of you standing praise God for saying that yes keep your eyes closed this is just a private moment this is the the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives just so you know those of you that are standing it's Jesus that wants to do the work in and through you he's just looking for your yes so if you're, if you're standing right now, would you just hold out your hands just to receive like God's giving you a gift? We just wanna pray for you. Holy Spirit, come on each of these that are saying yes right now. It's hard to say yes. God, it's scary. It's uncertain. We don't know what the future looks like at all. but you do, Lord. And you're incredibly good and you're incredibly kind and you're incredibly loving. And so I just pray for these men and women that have stood this morning that are saying, yes, I'm gonna put my yes into action and take faith-filled risk. 
I just pray that the spirit of the living God would empower you to walk it out day by day, that there would be a hunger in you to be obedient to Christ that burns within you, just like it did in Ed and Ruth Thompson, that you cannot avoid the call of Jesus into this thing in your life. pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be so present and near to these that are saying yes right now. They would sense your peace. They would sense your love, your goodness, your kindness towards them as they continue to walk in faith-filled risk. Now I'm going to invite everyone to stand. great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.